Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media, and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories, and we'll be joined by various business people on each episode to discuss the week's news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs, and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting their legal problems out. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to this week's episode of the Business Herald podcast. Uh, this week, I am joined by Tim Kirby of Watson Kirby Me Financial Planning Services. Tim's a chartered financial planner and co-founder of the business. And they're a financial planning investment management uh, firm that were launched earlier in 2020. They aim to provide bespoke, independent, high-quality services to great people using modern technology. And I'm also joined uh, by Dominic Gomesol of Lumbers. Um, Dominic's the fifth-generation custodian of the luxury retailing store in Leicester, um, having been in the industry for over 30 years. Dominic's been a managing director of this multiple national and local award-winning business for over two decades, winning recently winning the coveted UK Independent Retailer of the Year Award. And that's an award that you've won on a number of occasions as well, I think, Dominic. So um, thank you both for joining us. This week, obviously, the, the main story is the lockdown. And on Saturday evening, all of the, uh, the, the, the UK waited on the government with bated breath for the announcement that the press had already said was being made, which was that the whole country was going into lockdown. We were showing figures and, um, frankly, a poor PowerPoint slides to demonstrate the need for another national lockdown. Next slide, please. Thanks. Theresa May, a few days later in the House of Commons, said said this as a great quote, said, um, it looks like the figures are being chosen to support the policy rather than the policy being based on the figures. Ian Duncan Smith said it wasn't a circuit breaker, it was a business breaker. And Keir Starmer, um, forgive me for, uh, for, for quoting him, um, but Keir Starmer said this, Leicester has never come out of the restrictions. And the point is, if an area doesn't come out of restrictions, then the restrictions perhaps not working. And yet here we are, as of Thursday morning, the country was placed into national lockdown. All the shops, bars, restaurants, salons, gyms, golf courses, most public places are now closed. And we're told that it was for four weeks. Um, but yesterday, the furlough scheme comeback was announced, and, uh, and that's lasting now until March, giving many people a belief that the lockdown is not just for four weeks, but likely to be a full-on winter of discontent. So there's plenty for us to talk about this week. Um, but firstly, come to you, Dominic. Dominic, is is it the final straw? Is this lockdown to the final straw for many small retailers? Do you think um, this will be the end of the line? I've got to just do one quick correction on that because um, I'm calling it lockdown three. Because obviously as a retailer in Leicester, we were locked down for the first three months. We then were open for two weeks. We were then, over, we were then closed for another four weeks. Um, and now we've got to face this, which is the most crippling of them all. Um, now, we've got to look at it in two ways from my part. We're luckily a, a jewellery retailer. Um, we only need one client per day and we can have a good day. Um, I feel desperately sorry for all those smaller uh, shops out there, smalling, smaller price products that need quantities of clients to go in and footfall. And for them, yes, I believe this will be the final nail in the coffin for a good percentage of the high street, high street shops. 
Uh, and, and I think it's uh, unbelievably sad. And, and I will put on record that I am one following in Duncan Smith and uh, Theresa May, and I am completely and utterly against this lockdown. Um, not completely and utterly against being responsible in a world where we understand that there's something out there that is affecting a proportion of our population and we should be protecting those people. Not being um, anything against being responsible in my business and having a completely safe environment. Um, so all those are there, but I'm completely against the lockdown, which is going to completely change the landscape of high street retailing in my viewpoint. The, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure why he was involved in making comment, but the CEO of uh, Pimlico Plumbers, incredibly successful plumbing firm, uh, described it as businesses being sold down the river. Um, and, and a phrase that's been used on this podcast a number of times is uh, whether or not it's, it's kicking the can down the, uh, the road. But Tim, do you, do you agree with Dominic, Dominic there that, um, that this is you know, going to be a massive impact for the smaller businesses? Yeah, I mean, I think Dominic's articulated that fantastically well, and it, it's hard to add too much more. I mean, I, I really do hope that people will support their local businesses more, you know, if we do hopefully open the doors and businesses do continue. I know, you know, you, you look at the, in the news and see all of the major, loads of the major retailers are all making mass redundancies, you know, Argos, Clarks, et cetera, et cetera, all seem to be sort of shutting shops and, and reducing uh, their employee headcount, which is you know, very worrying for, for the future of the economy. Um, but supporting already a difficult market in the high street going forward will be you know, massively important. And hopefully um, that you know, Dominic's worst fears don't come to fruition and more do open their shutters on the 2nd of December or whenever it is after that that they're allowed to, because you know, it's a, a part of our kind of culture and, and the way in which you know, the British public work that we have these high streets and we have the ability to go out and um, you know, walk down the high street and shop in multiple different, um, uh, different enterprises to buy different things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do fear for the high street with this lockdown three as Dominic calls it and I agree with but uh, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's worrying times for that, that part of the industry and part of the economy. Dominic. I will just need to, to add on to that that I think we need to look at the high street as a whole um, and, and what they have done with this lockdown and I know we're going to talk about the fear of opening on December the 2nd maybe in a moment but the one thing that absolutely staggers me with the timing of this decision that the public might not understand the percentage of a retailer's trade that comes in this seven week period. We have seven weeks really till Christmas. You know, most retailers would take 50% of their annual turnover in these seven weeks. It's not just a four week period as people keep it referring it to. It's not just four weeks of the year. It's not being closed down in March. It's being closed down for actually 50% of the year in these seven weeks. Now that is the staggering reality of it, which people seem to be overlooking and seem to be thinking, oh, don't worry, you can survive with just four weeks of closures. Not only that, in all reality, if we can talk about that December the 2nd date, which we're now all so looking forward to, and as businesses are planning that we, should, we can open in terms of the sunset clause that means that we should open. But on, on the other side of that, there's now a huge bottleneck created. A bottleneck that on December the 2nd, we have three weeks for the general public of the United Kingdom to go shopping before Christmas Day. Now, we've seen videos, we've seen news coverage of sales starting. We see it every year 
when there are hordes of people fighting to get into Selfridges or Harrods or Curry's or whichever shop it is because they've got, they've slashed their prices. But forgetting slashing the prices, which everybody may well do or may not do, we won't, but people may well do, forget the prices, they won't have shopped. So the inordinate amount of crowds that the, the government have now decided to try and pack into a three-week period, if they were to open us for that three-week period, is a sense of foreboding for me because I just can't understand how they can allow retail now to open for those three weeks when they've already made us and the hospitality, hospitality sector the sacrificial lambs of the United Kingdom uh, economy. Do you think it's even something that the, the government have even considered or maybe they have considered and realised that we're not really going to open um, businesses again um, in, at the start of December? I mean, the, the announcement yesterday of the extension of the furlough um, scheme until March does seem to indicate that they expect um, businesses to be closed until March um, in, in, in one way, shape or form. And um, I, I was... Uh, little bit lawyery of me I know it is but um, I know Rishi uh, Sunak came out and quoted you know said that the the end of the lockdown period is written in law and and it is it's in the legislation it says it will expire on, a, on uh, after a certain period of time but the paragraph below that says of course unless we amend the above um, before the expiry of the, uh, the term um, so you know very very clearly built in that there is a definitive end date for it but one that can be moved because you can't um stop parliament legislating against uh, previous bills so i think it's likely to happen i can understand the um the, the, the bottleneck and you're right that's this is a huge period for businesses and to, to quell them and we saw it um you know just in these three uh three days um, since the announcement you know stores opening as if it was christmas hours you know i saw some of the bigger shops open until like 10 o'clock at night um, just to you know to get people in and I know um, from you know personal experience and uh, you know what you see online that actually shops were incredibly busy um, over the last three uh, three days but like you say that's still going to be deferred and, and backlogged and 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 not all of those shops um, you know are purchases that are done online you know there's a lot of businesses that can move online there's a lot of businesses that have moved online but the, there are a lot of shops that, that don't move online and i know that um i know dominic like your uh, your friends um watch is a switzerland goldsmiths they are doing personal appointments for uh for, for shopping which seems to be allowed seems that the government are you know they're not banning shopping they're allowing you know retailers to have a um you know a, a system that allows somebody to book an appointment and go into the shop um but of course, that doesn't necessarily ease the backlog. And do you think, Dominic, that's that kind of that personal appointment service? Is that something that you're thinking about uh, implementing or bringing in? Or is it something that's a long term uh, change to the way people shop? It's a really difficult one to answer correctly, because obviously um, for every one person out there who has one belief, there's another person out there of a different belief. Um, and I think the um, viewpoints on lockdown and COVID and uh, abiding by COVID rules in either spirit or law um, are as volatile and as if even more volatile than the Brexit arguments that we've been having for the last few years. Um, and as a retailer, you spend your whole life not trying to say anything or do anything that's going to upset anybody. Um, you try to be the friend of everybody so everybody can shop with you. 
So you don't have any political allegiance and you don't have really a viewpoint on anything if you can help it. Now, unfortunately, I'm not of that sort of ilk too often. Um, and I am known for occasionally putting my foot firmly in a way of my mouth and saying things that perhaps I shouldn't say. Now, the private collection appointments that I think generally trade is trying to, to do are may, may be not in the spirit of the law. Um, now, we did send out an email to our client base earlier this week saying we were doing private collection appointments uh, during this period of time. And I had the rudest, most virulent um, complaint that I've had for many a year. But having said that, it was one complaint out of 4,000 emails. So I actually felt quite buoyed by it. So the poor person who was complaining might have a very good point, of which they have, and I've um, addressed that in the best way I can. And I've tried to make sure that we're not breaching the regulations in any way whatsoever. But when you look at, like you say, watch the Switzerland, you look at Next, you know, the idea of click and collect is it's a collect service. But click and collect now at Next is, um, uh, and, and I believe I'm right in saying this, is a counter at the furthest part away from the door so that you can walk all the way through the shop, pick up anything else in the shop that you'd like, and buy those at the same time as you're getting doing, doing your click and collect. So is that in the spirit of the law or is that in the, the legal letter of the law? That's really where the confusion from this government is coming again, which unfortunately highlights the confusion, um, I think for most of us throughout this pandemic from the government. Um, and if I can just finish on that in terms of confusion, I will say that again, trying to be the friend of everybody, I was with the government for the first four months of this pandemic. I think they had a remarkably difficult job to do. Um, they locked us down, and in my viewpoint, to get the nightingales ready, to get improved the science and the medication behind the drugs that we can all take. They've reduced, by doing that, um, deaths in every thousand from 30 people in every thousand to six in every thousand now, now um, die of COVID, which is on the Office of National Statistics website. Um, that's not a pub, uh, a pub quotation. Um, <laughs> so they've got everything ready. But when, when Matt Hancock for lockdown two to finish in Leicester said in one sentence, and I'll, I'll quote him as, as we're doing a few quotes, um, non-essential shops in Leicester can open from Friday, but it is still in a lockdown zone so there's to be no non-essential travel. And as every shopkeeper in this city, we all just sat there watching the TV, I think saying, are they complete and utterly balmy? What does that mean? Are we allowed to open? Because actually we can't travel to the shop because it's not essential. Um, customers can't travel, so we can't really be open because nobody can really come in and see us. And, and, and I think that's to me has now summed up this government and their handling of the whole pandemic crisis. They don't check what they're doing. They don't look at what they're doing. I mean, somebody would have read his speech before he, he read it out, surely. He was on national TV. Everybody across the nation were tuning into him. Surely the prime minister would have read his speech. And he still comes out with a line as inept and unprofessional and uncaring and everything and every word you can say as that. And, 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 and I think that sums up where we are today with the lockdown three and everything. It, it's most of it is coming from the complete confusion after lockdown one, which could have been avoided. Tim, you started a business in lockdown. Um, and, it, and my understanding, at least, is it's been going pretty well. Um, there's, there's a report out today that the services sector, uh, demand in the services sector has dropped over the last couple of months. Um, you know, not quite at its peak as what it was before pandemic. 
um, but it's been improving recently and, um, and, and last month it's dropped. Um, do you think the, the, the national lockdown, will that affect um, non-retail you know, businesses as well, um, uh, like the service sector? Inevitably it will. Um, I mean, we've been very, very fortunate that we're in an industry that we can operate efficiently from home and the technology is there that allows us to do that. And being completely selfish, we've had a captive audience for a big chunk of the time that we've been we've been running, which, again, has been very, very fortunate for us as in our line of business. Um, but I think, yeah, going forward, there is going to be knock on effects. Um, for many, many industries, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, the redundancies and the amount of people that are going to be out of work. Well, that's going to have a knock on effect in more than just retail um, in all of the other walks of life of disposable income, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's going to have, have that effect on uh, people's attitudes, uh, on people's outlook, positive outlook, which, you know, we're big into positivity and uh, yeah, the positive outlook of the nation is going to be less because of, the confusion and mixed messages that, that just keep coming out. Um, and the fact that you see Sky News released an article this morning questioning the statistics that the whole of the lockdown premise seemed to be based on from these lovely charts that we, we saw on Saturday. Um, it, it just feels a big, big mess at the moment and there's not joined up thinking as to where we are, where we are. And that's really, really frustrating for uh, business owners, business people, the economy as a whole and to the general population. Mm. Yeah, Dominic, do you agree? I, I do. I do agree with that. And I, I just, I have to have a wry smile as as we have somebody who Tim here, who's deals in figures, deals in um, being accurate, and the accuracy is all important. He has he has people who forecast which way the um, shares will be going, which way investments are going, uh, and, and they're all absolutely only as good as their previous forecast. And we are being led by two scientists, as I can make out, who haven't got one forecast right yet. And yesterday, they come out with these figures that they've got currently. They've actually now had to apologise for the figures, actually admitting that they started from the wrong base, started from a five-fold wrong base, not a little bit, but I think it's five-fold, as I'm meant to believe. Uh, and even the um, Office of Statistics has come out and had to say they're not actually in agreement with how these statistics have been put forward. So even the government are criticising the government's advisors for the way they're putting their statistics forward. And all honesty, I'm sure Tim will agree with me and you'll agree with me. If anybody in a, in a, in a private company or in, in a proper professional job had presented in the way that these two, and I'm going to use the word clowns because I can't only think of it that as, as the right word, have presented, they would lose their job. As they have created so many people losing their jobs in this country, I, th I think it's only right that for their huge gaffes that they seem to be producing, they should be falling on their sword and resigning from their jobs, is my viewpoint, because nobody in your sector, Tim, I would have thought anybody who would have had the series of forecasts over the last six months from two people like that that have been so sort of irresponsible would be in their position, would they? Oh, yeah, very difficult to, to justify the position that they continue to hold um, some people in that are feeding this information, whether, you know, it's them coming up with the stats or they're being fed the stats somewhere along the chain. There's a breakdown and someone not getting things right and, and giving these mixed messages and these conspiracy sort of not conspiracy, but these um, factual corrections later down the line just completely undermines everything that I think we're being told now. And you've got to think that if we do get beyond the 2nd of December and this law does get changed, 
just again that Stephen alluded to earlier, how much compliance is there going to be? You know, over the Christmas period, how much compliance are we going to see to to these rules? You know, Victoria Derbyshire coming out and saying what she said, and then having to suddenly backtrack and you know correct um, because she was you know, in fear of a reprimand from up above. Um, there's going to be an awful lot of that, you imagine, over the the month that follows the second of December. You know, the, the festive season is going to be tricky to to enforce these types of rules. Uh, with the, the compliance that you expect to see out there. I can almost imagine um, that there's been, throughout the whole pandemic, there's been the, the, the tail wagging the dog situation, the, the difference between the approach from science and the approach from, you know, business and economy and the conflict that that, you know, kind of seems to have happened uh, over that period. Um, but you can you can see, as Dominic said, Come lockdown, uh, come come the opening of, of businesses. Sorry, the beginning of December, everybody is going to be wanting to go out shopping, and and yet you're going to have the government, like they did in the um, in August with the eat out to help out scheme. Right, go out, everybody, eat out, eat eat, go out and eat, and then went, oh, that seemed to make everyone get the figures go worse. <laughs> That's everyone's got ill. That's a strange strange coincidence, and and that you can't help but think that that's. An inevitability, and, and I just wonder whether or not they, they already know that, and they already realise that, um, you know, that, that this is going to be a longer term thing. It might be, you know, it might be January, it might be March. We know the furlough scheme has been extended, but of course, nobody, um, and, and certainly not Boris, uh, wouldn't be uh, want to be the man that ruined Christmas, and have that, um, you know, newspaper headline at the top. So, um, I think there's there's lots of politics going on as well. Um, lots of uh, lots of rhetoric, lots of mistakes, lots of facts that aren't uh, aren't true facts. But I just come back to to what Keir Starmer said, um, Labour leader, and it says the point is if an area doesn't come out restrictions and the restrictions aren't working, and, and, and Leicester knows that more than any other city, um, and Dominic, you'd have you'd have experienced that probably as much as anyone else in the country. The restrictions that Leicester have been in um, throughout this period, effectively throughout uh, almost you know far a couple of days. Um, that seems to demonstrate that those those restrictions don't work because we're still in it. Um, Leicester was still in it uh, at the end of it, um, and so you know, the whole national lockdown thing. I don't even know if it uh, if it works, Dominic. Well, I, 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 I hear you saying it doesn't work. Obviously, and I, I, I will just say that it depends the tier. The tier system to, to me. We have a government uh, minister on the TV this morning saying that um, the infection rates in Liverpool and Nottingham have plummeted. I think Liverpool have gone down by 40% and Nottingham's gone down by 50%. So but the actual summer restrictions can work and, and surely that's proven that it's worked. And, and those restrictions, you know, we had um, Andy Burnham bleating on for Manchester and cool, I wish he'd been our city mayor. I mean, he got them 60 million and we got our paltry 2.6 million and they weren't even locking down. It wasn't a lockdown. It's what I call lockdown light. I mean, tier three is lockdown light. You know, you, your shops are open, your restaurants are open. Yes, you can't go out with your friends and you can't have it in your house and you can't have 10 people for dinner and this, that and the other. But the economy was still ticking over. Shops were still selling product. You know, the, the biggest thing on our mental health and fairness is, is I think a little bit of fairity across the country and equality. Um, when we were locked down for the second one, I, I also sit on a board of five other jewelers in the country, but very important jewelers in the country. Um, and we are benchmark against each other regularly. 
and here and, and, and you know when we reopened in in June um, we were full of, uh, of get up and go spirit between the five of us and we had our two weeks and trading was was very good immediately we did bounce back we had trade straight away um, and then we were locked down and then the mental toll I'm, I'm a strong fellow I think mentally I'm quite strong now for those listeners out there who don't know me as a family man I'm a family man Unfortunately, I lost my mother to suicide, so I'm a very aware man of what mental health and well-being is. And, and I have got first-hand experience of mental anguish um, and the huge um, toll that that brings on to a whole family um, when you lose somebody to that. Um, and I just believe, you know, for me, myself, when we were in that second uh, lockdown and, and we had um, other shops that I'm, I'm, I sit on a board with and they're phoning me up saying what great trade they've got. My, my business was completely closed. I found I was struggling. I found mentally I was struggling. And, and all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, there was a deep hole and I kept looking at this hole, but luckily pulling myself back from it because I'm a strong enough character to do that. But I could see why people can disappear into that world that none of us want to go to. And I could see why my mother disappeared into that world. And all of a sudden that anxiety, that anguish, that we're causing this generation. And, you know, and I am sorry, you know, and I don't mean it's every death, and I'm talking about our family issues. Every death to every family is hugely, hugely um, tragic. But we do need to start thinking that those who are vulnerable need to take their own responsibility and they need to shield themselves. I mean, we're shielding care homes because care homes are the most vulnerable. When we look at the average age of COVID, you know, the average age of a COVID death is a year older than the average life expectancy in the UK. So, you know, it is the older generation that are terribly affected by it, very, very sadly, or maybe we don't say sadly, maybe we're lucky with that. How, how horrid would it be if our children were dying from it? So, and those people at that age group should be able to take the responsibility for their shielding. And if we move the furlough scheme to me to, to cover those people and look after them and care for them as a caring community, surely we can have our economy ticking over again. But having said that, I do get protecting the NHS as well, and that's a difficult line. But we do have to look at the well-being of all of us in a mental state. I think that um, we weren't kind of going too too far into that. I think that was um the is it the great barrington declaration i think that's been talked about this week which is you know like this 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 whole approach that's you know worldwide um mostly worldwide isn't working and actually what we should be doing is, is shielding the the most vulnerable and then getting on with with life generally um and going down that route and and i think um there's a little bit of debate as to whether or not that's backed by actual real scientists or not um but it's got a huge amount of signatures um, on it from people purporting to be scientists. Um, uh, if it helps, it's got the backing of Nigel Farage as well. Um, so, uh, so you know, at least we know that that was a real one. I think not uh, not made up one. But um, yeah, it's 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 a route out. And of course, um, you know, we've got to. Uh, if I, I was going to say this, if you're a supermarket, then um, lockdown two lockdown three doesn't really make any difference supermarkets um and and those stores that have been able to class themselves as non-essential stores have done really well sainsbury's um yesterday uh announced their results and they are going to be making a 250 million pound dividend to their uh, to their shareholders 
um, completely separately and completely unrelated is that they received 250 million from the government in uh, business rates relief. Um, and the uh, and, and the guy from Richard Sounds says that you know he, he says that supermarkets should be compelled to repay those um, those business rates relief because they were open and they were meant for shops that were closed. Um, and so you know it, it's it's one of those things that not everyone's uh, done bad. But I, I feel sorry for um, you know those those ultra small businesses, the, the, the people that are using the hashtag excluded, the, the you know sole directors, limited companies that have no support, they've not had anything, not able to complain, not able to uh, furlough themselves, not able to get self-employed income support uh, at all or anything like that. And so there's still a lot of people that are facing incredibly tough times. And, and like Dominic says, there's some massive mental health issues there that, um, that are presently being overlooked. Tim, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's hard to question anything you guys have just sort of come up with, um, come up with there. Um, I think mental health is the kind of the overlooked um, elephant in the room by many, many people. Um, I think there's, you know, some real struggles. I think I saw a stat that the London Ambulance Service had attended 37 suicide attempts a day. On average, in normal years, it's 17. So more than double, which is, you know, that's one <clears throat> ambulance service in the UK. So you can probably say that's a fair uh, comparison to what's probably going on around the rest of the, the rest of the country. Um, and yeah, we, you know, we can't overlook people's mental health and mental well-being and um, and that kind of thing and you know physical health and physical well-being it's, it's absolutely crazy for example that kids sports have stopped you know what is it they was it Patrick Valance or Chris Whitty came out and said there's no cases they've proved of transmission between kids sports so I've got uh, my children are too young for school at the moment so we had the joy of had them during lockdown but my uh, nephews are big into their football outside of school so they're okay at lunchtime at school to play football with their mates but after school they can't go and do it in an organised, secure, COVID-friendly way, um, as they have been doing over the over the summer. It's just it's crazy, and kind of getting that fresh air, exercise, outside um, activities is is massively important to many people's uh, physical and mental health. So, yeah, and as we come into darker nights, that's going to be more and more prevalent. I think um, you know we already drive home in the dark now. It's not going to be long till we drive to work in the dark as well as the, the sort of the days tick in. And, you know, we're not even at the main uh, thrust of winter that January and February bring yet and the, the you know, the January blues. So um, it, it's a big concern. Don't get me started on that. I think if there's one good thing about Scottish independence is that they could have their own time zone. And I mean, we could have British summertime all the time and it'd be light all the time. Much better idea. But we'll talk about that. Another one. Um, there's been some other news this week as well. There's been some sort of election um going on i think in america i don't know if you've you've heard of that not uh, it's not been on the, the news much but um been going on dominic do you think the um do you think the outcome of the the election however soon or long it takes do you think it makes uh makes much of an impact on on the uk for smaller businesses uh, for smaller businesses I, I think it does to a certain extent i mean to me uh, and i know again it's a it's another brexit conversation of do you like Mr. Trump or don't you like Mr. Trump? Um, to me, Mr. Trump would have, I mean, let me just put in fact, I do not like Mr. Trump. <laughs> let me say that before, before I say anything, because I don't want anybody thinking I like Mr. Trump. Yeah. Um, it's a nice red hat that says MAGA on the top, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do appreciate, um, in some ways, some of his uh, policy towards us compared to an Obama 
um, linked policy. Um, and Obama standing up there saying we would be at the back of the queue um, for any trade deal really, really rankled with me. I have to say that, but that, that really did upset me. You know, for me, that the, the Americans are our brothers. I mean, we, you know, we have a close relationship with them than any other country in the world, historically. And for their president to say that we would be at the back of the queue as a, as a proud Englishman, I found that exceedingly difficult. Now, Biden is um, part of that Obama um, uh, government, and, and and I assume probably, and, and I have to admit, I haven't read his policies in detail. I, I won't be as learned on it as you will be, um, Stephen, I'm sure. But I think he does stand for more of Obama's policies than Trump does. And that one alone policy frightens me that he will put us back at the end of a queue. Um, and, and I think Trump will put us at the front of a queue. I think he would he would love to get a trade deal going with the, with the United Kingdom. I think it'd be a hard man to, to, to deal with. The Europeans have been fairly difficult, haven't they? So uh, I'm, I'm sure our boys are used to a fairly difficult adversary now. Um, and we could get a trade deal somehow with America, which would soften the Brexit blow to all of us. Um, so even our smaller businesses and, and, and every, every business wants trade deals as quickly as possible. And I think Trump was, our, was an easier man to get that from. Yeah, I guess the issue with, with someone like Trump being that business negotiator is he... He wants to do a deal because it's the benefit to the US that he gets from that. Um, and and I can al you can almost, almost sense that um, we'd come off worse out of that negotiation, albeit one there we'd still be able to trade with them, um, we'd come off perhaps worse. That'd be my feeling, whereas with the uh, with a, with Democrats, you, you feel like it would perhaps be a bit fairer. Um, but that's just me supposing. Tim, do you think that the, the outcome of the US election would have an impact generally in, in the economy in the UK? Um, yeah, I think it probably will to an extent. Um, I, I mean, it looks like Biden's going to sneak over the line from what you what you read at the moment, but he's not going to have control of all the houses. So the chances for him to do too much, certainly in the early part of his tenure, are probably going to be fairly limited. Um, I probably agree that I think both of them want will want a trade deal with the UK because it will be in their interest to some extent. The only advantage perhaps Biden has over Trump is that you know, Trump's going to fight with China over what's good for the, the US. Biden's going to fight with China over what's good for the US and human rights and environmental social governance policies. Trump really couldn't care less about all that sort of stuff. We probably tick those boxes. So, from Biden's perspective, perhaps we've kind of overcome overcome one of the hurdles in in agreeing a trade deal that you know certainly China's not going to overcome anytime soon. Um, so, I think it will, but I think not having ultimate control over Senate, Congress, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, isn't going to allow them to either of them to do too much too soon anyway. Um, so, it's probably going to be a bit of a slow burner. Yeah, good. I think it's. Uh... So I do think it's interesting how we say it to the next generation, though. My my 15-year-old uh, son, Freddie, um, we were in a car the other day, and he said, Dad, I really want to start learning about economics and politics and this, that, and the other. Um, and we've opened him up a little trading account on shares, and he's just starting to do a little bit of that, and a bit of pocket money for him and this, that, and the other. And then he says, so, Dad, Dad, who do we want to win the election in America? Then? And I said, Fred, that's a really, really difficult question. I said, because we want one man to win it, but we want one party to win it. And they're both not in the same, in the same side. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, it's an impossible question. So I said, I suppose we can just sit back and say, we're not, we're, we're relatively happy with whichever side win it. And so I think that's the way that has to be. I said, N we can't like Trump. I said, but we like more of his policies to me than we probably like 
um, Biden. It's, it's one of those things, and it's perhaps more political than this podcast usually is, but, but um, Trump, obviously, in the, in the press and the media is just absolutely slated constantly. And, and, and therefore, most people in this country, uh, you know, think that um, he is, you know, is an absolute buffoon and we shouldn't like him, should hate him and this, that and the other. But the reality of it is he's a conservative. And this country, like America, has pretty much always been conservative, but they have some liberal leanings every now and then. And that's why they flip between the two parties. It's just that that, that particular guy is perhaps not someone that you, know, you could see yourself voting for. Um, but like you say, actually, fundamentally, he's a, he's a conservative and comes up with some conservative things that means as a business owner, you're probably more inclined to vote conservative Republican because they tend to be more supportive of businesses. Tim. I think we've all been quite critical of the US election sort of personally in our conversations, but I saw a great picture the other day of um, Boris Johnson winning one of his um, party political elections and he had a picture of, I think it was Lord Buckethead and Elmo and people like that on the stage with him. So you think, you know, that's not, you know, people in glass houses and, and, and all of that. So uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure it's as, as, as um, white as white over here as well. Um, so that's, yeah, not cast too many aspersions. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, guys, were there any other news stories that caught your eye this week that's worth talking about? I think anyone that caught my eye, just, just to highlight something, and it does relate back to, I hate to say that the biggest story of COVID was, I do love our press sometimes, you know, the, the nice story in the, in, in, in the uh, I'm a Daily Mail reader, which I'm sure everybody guessed anyway, um, and, and page 15 it took to get a little paragraph at the bottom of page 15, um, saying that AstraZeneca have said that the vaccine will be available before Christmas. And I just do find our press sometimes just surprising because I find that a little bit frustrating that that's a small little add-on story right into the newspaper as opposed to a really nice headline to give us all some hope going into the next of it. Because I, I think, you know, for us, we all want hope in some stories. I, I don't understand our press. I don't understand why bad news sells newspapers. And that's why everybody thinks newspapers sell. If I um, if I won the pools, I would or the lottery, whichever it is nowadays. I'm showing my age saying pools. Um, but if I won the lottery, I would certainly love to have a newspaper, and I'd certainly love to call it the Good News Guide. And I'd certainly love to have a rule that the headlines always have to look on the bright side of life. Because um, for all of this, there is a bright side of life. We're all here. Most of us are healthy. Um, we have got a pandemic that is killing uh, a percentage of people. Um, but a, a greater percentage of us are healthy, still in employment, and we are going to build up our country again, and we're going to get those people who are finding a tougher time and are unemployed. We will drive it as we do to get those people back in employment. And why can't we look on that bright side of life rather than just the sad part, especially with Christmas coming? Dominic, we need you in politics. You're wasted. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think I've got to echo that. Uh, that sentiment, absolutely. I, I always try and see the positive in things more than the negative. But you know, the press, uh, in, in actually, in doing this, doing this podcast over the last twelve weeks, um, you know, the way in which sometimes the press reports, even just even the business news stories, um, you know, it's really easy to identify where a business has, um, you know, has, has uh, made a loss. And the headline will be "Business Makes a Loss." But actually, when you look at the detail of it and look at their accounts, they, they made a loss because they wrote down a massive. Uh, you know, property expense or unusual expenditure, which actually underly underlying and the fundamentals meant that they were still doing okay, but we don't have, never report about those kind of things. Um, so yeah, it's always the negativity sells and that's a shame, um, but there we go. Uh, uh, Tim, anything that caught your eye? 
I think only the um, electric car story about, was it Bentley saying by 2030, it's going to be fully electric? Yeah. Um, an interesting, you know, we're not that we need cars at the moment because we don't really go anywhere, but, you know, when we do get into the company car realms of discussions in the future, you know, we've already had the talk about whether electric is the, the kind of the way to go. The tax incentives for it are certainly quite attractive at the current time. So it was, it was just quite interesting to hear that one of the sort of premium brands, if you like, are trying to go fully electric in 2030, which isn't you know, it's nine years away. It's not that far away. It's it's not too far away. So it's one of those uh, one of those dates that um, to, uh, to to people my generation and older um, even now we just look at it and go, wow, it's the future. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's nine years away. It's not. Uh, it's not that far. Of course, the uh, there's lots of you know worldwide governmental um, uh, subsidies and uh, and decisions to you know stop uh, petrol and diesel you know vehicles being made from certain dates. Twenty twenty uh, thirty five, I think, is the, this uh, government's aim at the moment. So you're going to see that a lot. Um, and obviously, you see you know see someone like Tesla actually. Um, interesting. Uh, there were some tweets. Tweets get picked up as well as negative news tweets on news stories as well nowadays, Dominic. Um, and uh, and Elon Musk responded to some tweets of just about uh, about Tesla and um, and basically said, you know, there was a point in time where if he didn't raise um, uh, some money that night, the, the whole company would have gone bust. Um, and then the, uh, that was a few years ago. And then more recently, the last uh, the last year, year previous, not this year, last year. The development of the Tesla three, um, that actually without another round of funding, again they were just they were they were almost short of uh, of cash to, to to you know to be able to claim bankruptcy because it just cost them an arm and a leg. And yet they're a massive uh, massive capitalized company. They're doing incredibly well on the stock market, and there's lots of uh, lots of investors in them making lots of money out of it. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. There's clearly um, a future in electronic vehicles. There's a lot of subsidies there. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to see. All of the car makers almost playing catch up with Tesla at the moment, actually. Um, you know, Tesla are leading the way, and you know, you have all of those manufacturers coming and saying, "Well, here, here we go. Here's an electric car." Um, for me, as a as a car buyer, um, I looked at the Tesla. It's really nice. Not quite, not quite for me. Not quite um, uh, right for a family car at the moment. But um, it's uh, they they make the process of buying it incredibly smooth and easy because they're not a car sales company. They're, they are just a gadget provider. So it's the same as buying a, a laptop computer from Apple. You know, you go into the shop and they say, what configuration do you want? There you go. Okay, order it and then it will be delivered. And here's the timescales. And if you don't want it, they're fine as well. Um, you go to another car provider and it's so much more hassle. Dominic. I have to say, it's, it's an amazing experience with a Tesla selling. I don't know if you've done a test drive, but yeah. I'm a Tesla, well, my wife's a Tesla driver, so we're a Tesla in the family. Um, and you, we went down to Milton Keynes, and exactly like you say, there's a shop like Apple, and then they just pass you a key and say the cars are on the fifth level. Off you go for an hour. And you, you sort of look at them, well, is anybody coming with us? And, and no, and off you go. And they say, if you want to try the speed, please don't go on the motorway because it'll cut out because you're too far away from this thing. And you suddenly realise they've got complete control over you from afar while you're in their car um but they are amazing cars i mean i have to say i love mine um it's a beautiful car to drive and um and she just loves it because she doesn't have to go to a petrol station anymore (laughs) yeah absolutely i i I, um test drove it uh during lockdown and the first first round of um of lockdown but when when shops had uh, reopened and uh, you book it on 
And, uh, and we got there about lunchtime and, um, and I booked the Tesla three test drive. And, uh, and he said, oh, here's, you know, same as you, here's the key, you know, go for it. Um, and he said, oh, I said, oh, how long have I got? And he said, well, hmm, yeah, the next person, I and mean, we don't have anyone in for the rest of the day. So you take as long as you want. And, uh, and I said, Can, could I test drive the X as well? Yeah. And then gave me both sets of keys and went, there you go, just come back when you can. We shut at five. Thanks very much. It was a great day out. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Gentlemen, thanks very much for uh, for coming along today. It's been, it's been great. It's been uh, very informative and interesting. I hope you enjoyed coming along. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for the invite. Thanks Stephen. Good to see you, Tim. Thank you. Um, and for the listeners out there, thank you for, for tuning in and listening to this week's uh, episode of the Business Herald podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, I'd appreciate it if you you have some feedback left as a review on the podcast site that you subscribe to and uh, and tell a friend share it as well and, um, and and come back next week and listen again so thanks very much again for, for coming along to the business Hero podcast Good morning. Sound you'd have to edit too much out of that, will you? I no, not not normally. I, I think won't be surprised. It's all fine. Yeah, there, 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 there won't be. It doesn't sound like there's much to edit there, so it's good. Last week, we need far a Domasol podcast, and we'll just sit and listen to Dominic. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> Can I just say that um, all my staff, if, if they'd been sat in this room when you said uh, I'm not allowed to swear for 45 minutes, would have killed themselves. And the bets, the bets down there on the shop floor. <laughs> would have been absolutely enormous. I normally can't go five minutes without saying f- So, um, <laughs> and I managed the 45 minutes, I think, without one swear word. So I'm very proud of myself, really. <laughs>